It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the official tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray. We are here with the USC legend, Sabrina Santa Maria, the pride of SoCal. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thanks, Kamal. Thanks for having me here. So when I meet people from that area, I always am curious as to how you guys choose between SC, UCLA, Berkeley. How did you choose between those three schools? Because I know they all wanted you. Well, I grew up in Los Angeles. I grew up in Griffith Park. Um, so I, growing up, I always idolized USC, UCLA. I love that rivalry. And um, I thought I looked better in red, to be honest. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, a lot of my friends went to SC. And my best friend, Caitlin Christian, she committed um, the year um, before me. And I just loved the coaching staff, loved the girls on the team, um, loved the school. And I just knew in my heart that that's where I wanted to be. Now, was Juju there when you were there as well? Yeah, we were the same year, so same recruiting class. So that class there, your group, all three of you guys making a living on tour yeah. in doubles. And so, you know, when I talk to, like, parents, I always think about, like, programs that historically can actually put a player in college onto the tour. And SC, yeah. UCLA, like, those schools are at the top of the list. Yeah, definitely. Tell us, life on, tell us about life on the doubles tour because I think that, you know, from a viewer's perspective, we look at the Grand Slams, we look at Tabalenka, Hala, you know, Muguruza, right? But there's like this whole other life, like Juju now in the final eight, right? Yeah. Who are making a living on tour, but it's a different living than some yeah. of the same. So tell us about the grind. It's tough. I remember when we all first started out, um, me, Juju, Caitlin Christian, Desiree Kraftjack, um, we were fresh out of college and decided, you know, we're going to stick to doubles. And I remember... Um, we would all share hotel rooms, you know, going to Beijing, going to Shenzhen, um, anywhere in Europe, we would all share hotel rooms just to cut down on costs. You know, we would fly budget airlines. We would, um, you know, if one of us lost uh, first round or if a couple of us lost first round, we would all pile into one room. You know, you got three girls sharing a king, be king bed. Um, it was a grind. We would, you know, take sandwiches from, you know, the breakfast. Like, we were trying to just save as much money as we could because, you know, realistically, doubles players don't make half as much as singles players. You know, the prize money difference is huge. So for us starting out, we just really had to save as much as we could. And then once we started making grand slams, you know, going deep uh, quarterfinals, semifinals here and there, um, you're starting to make a living. It's still not as much as, you know, singles players make, but we're making a good living as of right now. And you got to split it in half. And you got to split it in half, yeah. <laughs> now, do you split coaches? Because, you know, a lot of doubles players don't travel with a coach. So I see the four of you guys kind of like working out with each other. And yeah. I'm always honestly impressed because when I look at people who actually know how to practice, yeah. I would say doubles players have more sort of ability to facilitate their own improvement in their own yeah. practice because they have to. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think 
it's definitely true. We have to do it ourselves because it's so hard to take a coach, especially when you're first starting out. It's so expensive. You have to pay for all their expenses and airfare and everything. Um, so for us, we really learn to make our doubles practices as effective as they can be, um, just simply because we don't have as much resource as you know, singles players do. So we got really good at that. And um, we are our own coaches, essentially. Um, at the moment, you know, now that we're starting to make a living, a lot of us are starting to split coaches. So per week, you, know, you just split with your doubles partners, and that's definitely helping a lot. But um, in the beginning, it was tough. <laughs> now, how does that work? Because be, you, know, you might want a guy, and she might want a guy. You're like, yeah, I don't like that dude. He like, yeah. gives me a weird vibe. How do y'all? Decide it's and tough. Agree. It's tough. I think you know you just got to work out that compromise. Honestly, doubles teams, it's really like a marriage. You know, you got to compromise here and there, and you just have to find the best fit for both players in order to make it work. Or I've seen you know teams have their separate coaches and you know do well with having their own coaches, and that's what works. But I think definitely you just got to find the right fit for you. So speaking of coaches, your dad was your coach, and your dad is a tennis coach. Tell us about how you got started. Was it like mandatory in your house? Like if you're going to eat dinner in this house, <laughs> you're going to play tennis. Yeah, it was definitely, I grew up big tennis family. My parents immigrated, my dad immigrated from Panama and my mom immigrated from the Philippines. And they actually met on a public tennis court in LA. So tennis is just kind of running the bloodline. Um, and when I was born, um, they just you know put a racket in my hand as soon as I could grip. And my dad would tie like a tennis ball to our ceiling in our apartment and just have me, you know, whack balls back and forth when I was four years old. Um, and that was you know his dream to mold me into you know a tennis player. And his goal was always to get me to college. And then the pro thing kind of came from you know within myself. But um, he's been my coach since you know yeah since I was in diapers. So um, we have a really good. Relationship. He knows when to turn the coaching on, when to turn it off, you know, um, when to be dad. So um, it's worked out really well. So he doesn't travel, which is which is odd because I've never once seen him on the road. I always see him like in the corner <laughs> with that like raggedy SC hat <laughs> with like sweat from like four years ago. I'm like, who's the dude in the corner with that raggedy SC hat on? Like, That's sad today. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. But I never see him on the road. He comes to all the Grand Slams, typically, um, and sometimes the local ones like San Jose sometimes. Um, but with the pandemic, it's been really tough because travel-wise and everything like that. But um, I think he'll come to Australia, hopefully. Mm -hmm. It's a long trip, but his back is starting to hurt. Uh. <laughs> but um, yeah, hopefully most of the Grand Slams, but um, as soon as the pandemic kind of winds down a bit, then it'll be much easier for him to travel more. So when you graduated college, you graduated, right? Yeah. So you graduated college, and, you know, it pr probably wasn't a sure thing that you would make it on tour. Yeah. Right? You know, because you, you probably didn't think you'd have the single success. You wouldn't like top ten in the country in singles or whatever. So how did you decide, you know what, I know it's going to be tough? Was there, like, a coach that said, hey, Saps, you can make it, right? Or were you like, you know what, let me give myself eight months out there. Yeah. Let me take ten grand to see if I can do this. Yeah. And then... If it doesn't work, then I'll go take a job. What made you think you could believe or you could do it? Definitely my parents have been the driving force, you know, the whole time after college. Um, but I would say um, there are a couple people, definitely a couple coaches that come to mind that really, like, helped me right after college. Dustin Taylor and uh, Stephen Armitage, they 
um, you know, when I was fresh out of college. They were big college guys too. Like they really try and help college players, especially once they finish college. So um, they definitely helped me have the belief in myself. Um, but my dad, again, it always comes back to my dad. He always, you know, believes in myself, believes in me and pushes me. Um, so it's, uh, those I think were the main people that tried to help me after college and, um, and here I am, so still going. <laughs> still loving it. Still loving it, yeah. So um, I look at people who travel the tour and it doesn't look so burdensome. Like it doesn't look like it's a chore to sort of hop on and off. You're kind of like enjoying it. And when I think of you, I think of somebody that has a healthy sort of work-life balance, right? Always, how do you maintain that while being on the road, being across the pond, different time zones, Right, when I look at your Instagram, I see you from time to time bring a friend and like y'all four y'all sleeping, <laughs> sleeping in the room together in Rome. I'm like, how you gonna play tomorrow? You sleeping in the bed with three other girls, your back gonna be hurt and everything. Like, you're gonna be double falling all day, right? So how do you like, what's your key to like maintaining that work-life balance? I think being in a college environment and having a team um, has really helped my success on the doubles tour. Um, and again, doubles is a team sport um, and you have a person next to you, hopefully you're really good friends on and off the court. So um, I think that transition really helped me now on tour. Um, and for me, like I was, you know, being a doubles player, being a doubles specialist, I think it's less stressful, honestly. And, um, you know, singles players, it's, it's a lot. So for me, I just, I try to have fun on the court. I try to pick partners that I have a good relationship with so we can have fun on on the court and off the court. Um, and again, yeah, we love to bring our friends on tour um, that went to SC with us. A lot of them love to travel. A lot of them love to come to tournaments. So that keeps it light. It keeps it so fun. And um, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, you're human and you need these relationships to, you know, have that really good work balance. So one of the challenges I think with doubles is it could be somebody's fault. Yeah. Right. You win, yeah. Theoretically, you win as a team or lose as a team. Right. But quite often, there's somebody that doesn't play as well. Right. Or doubles. Right. 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 And so, how do you deal with that? Right. Is it you? I know you want to like you have to restrain yourself and say you know we both lost. Right. Yeah. But if it's like you know six five dudes and you double, it's like yeah. Eh, yeah. You kind of cost us that match. Right. Yeah. yeah. How do you deal with that? Do you like does a doubles player give you something? We have ten minutes where we, everybody can say what they want to say and then we forget about it. like what's the strategy to airing it out, yeah. but then not blaming anybody. Yeah, I think what's most important in that situation is, you know, you can only control half the situation, right? So for me, like I try not, I try not to put as much stress on myself whenever my partner messes up or if I mess up, um, I try to, you know, just refocus and focus on the next point. And so is, you know, next point, next point, next game. Like you don't wanna harp too much on that one point or that one, game where, you know, it was someone's fault or, you know, someone completely messed up um, or else you're just going to spiral and it's going to go downhill real quick. So um, for us, it's all about going, you know, next point, really good energy, positive vibes. Um, and we never try to, you know, dwell on the past point because it's over with and there's really nothing you can do. So um, for me, I always just try to control what I can control and that's the best I can do. And if my partner doesn't you know, rise up with me, then um, it is what it is kind of. And then you, you know, after the match, you talk it out and see what needs to be improved for the next match. But you can never really dwell too much on it. So have you ever gotten to any shouting matches? No. After the, no? No. <laughs> You're I'm right. cool, calm, and collected. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, so then how, how many matches, because I see a lot of 
like sort of the doubles players playing with different partners. Yeah. You know, maybe it's based on availability or somebody has a wedding to go to or something like yeah. that, right? So you got to kind of take a sub. How many matches, how many tournaments do you give someone to suck before you make a change? I think you want to give a new partner at least six. Six tournaments? Yeah, I think six. Five to six because I think in the first two to three, it's like, definitely the first two, it's kind of like, okay, we're still tr feeling each other out, like getting our plays together. By three to four, like that's kind of like, okay, things should be coming together. If you're doing the right thing and it's just not happening, not executing, that's okay. And then by like five, it's like, okay, execution. You know, like execution needs to be on point, like start winning matches. And if it's working, then it's good. So I think like five to six is kind of like a good indicator. That's a whole Europe trip. <laughs> yeah, it's it a whole, is. It's a whole Europe swing. <laughs> so all right, we talked about social life. So now you got a new boo. So <laughs> I saw you with him a couple of days ago. I was like, oh, that's interesting to be able to actually have like a healthy sort of fun relationship when you both travel, especially like if he has a, a real regular job, right, and not a tennis player, which I think is always good to like yeah. get like a non-tennis guy. Yeah. yeah. How do you make that work? Well, how is it and how do you make it work? Well, we've been together seven years, and um, we met in college. Ooh, serious, boo. Yeah, yeah, it was serious. <laughs> We're locked in. Um, we've been together seven years, met in college at SC. He was actually studying abroad, and it was the year that I tore my ACL, so I was like, I guess I'll date now, because I got nothing else to do. I don't got tennis anymore, so I <laughs> guess I'll date, and um, hit it off right away. He's from Finland, so we've been long distance for like five years, um, and he works, you know, normal nine to five. He works for Salesforce. Um, so finally, he came over to the states um, two years ago before the pandemic, um, and has been working for Salesforce ever since. So um, for him, he can't really travel too much, you know, right, normal people <laughs> jobs. <laughs> but um, he tries to come to the Grand Slams, and um, for us, I think we've established kind of um, how it works to be away from each other since we've been long distance for so long. And, um, you know, we know how to, you know, make sure we're communicating well and giving each other what we need. And um, it's been working out really great. And I'm glad that he's here, you know, to watch World Team Tennis. And um, he was with me a couple weeks um, ago in Indian Wells. So he took off time from work to come here. So um, we have a really good relationship. And um, I'm really glad that he's here with me through it all. <laughs> so the running joke is... Well, no dudes in California, so she had to go to Finland to find her boo. She had to go all the way to Finland to find her boo. Well, he actually, well, he came to college at USC, so he came to California first. <laughs> well, thank you for having us. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Kamal. Um, it's always fun to see you on the road. You always keep it lighthearted. Always got a good perspective, a healthy perspective on this tennis life and just you know the reality of what it is. And so uh, I appreciate you, and thanks for coming on. Thanks, Kamal. Thanks for having me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray, and we are with the legendary D.Y. Donald Young. What's up, brother? What's up? Glad to be here. So I always equate you to, like, LeBron. Okay. 
Because, you know, when you were like 11, 12, people anointed you, like Johnny Mac anointed you as like the next one. How did that feel? Yeah, it came out of nowhere, really. I was just playing, you know, in the Midwest, just having fun and um, playing older guys, and they were killing me, and then I wanted to beat them, so I kept improving and working on things. And I was it was kind of like when I saw them play and picked up on what they did, I was able to, you know, utilize it the next time I played them. So I would lose to someone once and then beat them the next time. And it just kind of happened fast. And then Johnny Mack, I worked with a friend of mine, Rozelle. We were ball boying at the Nuveen, and I was too nervous to ask John to hit. And uh, he, he had more gumptions than me, so he went over there, asked him, and it, we warmed him up every day. And then after that, he told his agent about me, and then that's how it all came about. So it was three lefties on the court, because Rozelle lefty, you lefty, and Matt was <laughs> Right, lefty. exactly. Three lefties. It was crazy. It was good, it was good times. So how did that feel? Because, you know, 11, 12, 13, and, like, one of the greatest players ever was like, oh, this dude going to make it. Did you like, nah, he just blowing smoke? Or how did life sort of like speed up after that? Yeah, it was just a lot more attention, a lot more calls, a lot more articles. Uh, people wanted to talk more and, and just be around, which was different. And then it was different because my peers now, you know, they're acting a little different because <laughs> this is happening. So it was just a lot that went in. And I was kind of focused on tennis. I liked video games at the time and hanging out with my friends and sleepovers. So I wasn't really thinking about it as much, but when I was in the environment, it was going on. So, like, you're the person I, I give an example. So it was just, you know, here doing a little clinic here. And you know, like, well, how you know when you're going to make it? And I was like, well, you know, industry kind of knows who's going to make it. So when the agent or Nike or somebody else come knocking on your door with a check, you're pretty much going to make it. <laughs> Other than that, you're just a parent hoping your kid make it. You know what I mean? Would you agree with that? Yeah, to some extent, yeah, because, you know, People who are good or have been good, they can kind of tell. They can they can tell. Some people, you know, go through the regular format of college and, and well, juniors first and college and get better and improve and develop. And then others, it happens faster. And those are usually the ones it comes to faster. The people, the agents, the Nikes, the Adidas's of the world. That's when it happens. They like know what it look. They know what it looks like. They know yeah. what it looks like. Yeah, the eye the eye test uh, <laughs> yeah, works out, and they know. <laughs> So you've obviously played all of the slams, not only at the professional level, but at the junior level. So you got more experience in slams than even people currently on tour, <laughs> right? Because you've been, you know, on the, I'll say a board member on the street for a long time. <laughs> so which of the slams is your favorite? Well, U.S. Open obviously is a favorite because I'm American, so when I play, the crowd is naturally for me unless I'm playing another American. I think only think of one other time where they were more for the other guy, and that's when I played James Blake in 2008. We played first round. He had just made... The semis of the Olympics, he was top 10, so, and he's from New York, so they, they were really for him. But other than that, I've had the crowd mostly every time I played. Was that was the J-Block around here? Yeah, they had the J-Block, the, <laughs> the, the blue shirts, <laughs> the cheering, uh, the suite. Yeah, it was the whole thing. It was like, you, it was like one on 20,000. Uh, 100%. <laughs> um, but do you feel like, you know, because obviously I've been in the U.S. Open a ton of times, and I feel like the New York is so hectic because everybody you know hitting you up for tickets. And to me, that's the hardest slam for an American to win because it's the hardest to manage. Like, you got to, like, either you're going to accept or deny. USTA might be a little stingy with the tickets. You know, <laughs> it's like you're trying to accommodate people and every people coming in and out. It's not like, hey, look, on day one, if you're here, you can stay. Because people get superstitious, right? Yeah. So I, when I coach, it's kind of like, if mom or dad's coming to the tournament, you got to be here on day one. Right. Can't come in the middle. So when you have, like, your friends and family coming in and out, 
to me, that like complicates the whole situation. Yeah, for me, uh, yeah, the people that are on the team team, they gotta show up day one. <laughs> yeah, the the peripheral guys and you know a, fan, a friend here and there, and they might pop up on the weekend, a Labor Day weekend or something like that. It's a little different, but yeah, but they can't ride on the bus with me. You know, I mainly don't give them tickets. They kind of pop up, and I have to keep it small because it's too many ins and outs. You know, they're they're coming because you're doing well, and yeah, I just want them to be my team, and that's it. So. Um, when Francis made that run to the quarters yeah. of Aussie Open, right. he, he had a weird superstition. Mm -hmm. he's, he took a shower in the same shower yeah. the whole tournament, even if he had to wait in line. So he'd be in there for two hours waiting to get in the same <laughs> shower. What, tell me about a weird superstition where you were having a good run and you were like in a zone and you were doing something and you just couldn't de oh, deviate. From. I'm 100% like Francis. You know, it's like two showers I use at the open and like back right, always back right. And if someone's in there, I'm like, yeah, I'll come back. And uh, but me, it's Applebee's in the states. Before every match, I got to go to Applebee's. Yeah, I get the same thing every time. Finishes with the maple walnut blondie <laughs> every single time. Every match, it's Applebee's. And see, they, they're going to hear this, and you're going to, the menu's going to be DY, right? <laughs> exactly. It's Applebee's for me. I, I, I'm super superstitious. It's just Applebee's. And the team is like, again? I'm like, yeah, again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you like the wins, so we're going to go again. Right. <laughs> so it's Applebee's. That's what's up. So I always say, in my opinion, right, because I watched you grow up, watched you on the courts in diapers, hitting balls on two bounces. I remember your moms and dad were hitting balls with you, and you'd be at the curtain, like, hitting balls on two bounces. I always said you were the, the most talented person, aside from Roger Federer, to touch a tennis racket. I had the opportunity to watch you play dubs, singles, everything. Where did you get that from? Obviously, your dad and mom was a good player, but where did you get some of those hands? If some of that stuff could be taught, and some of it was like, nah, he just got that. Yeah, uh, yeah. for my parents, we kind of did a strategy. We went, started up to back. So I started kind of like at the net doing a lot of stuff and then I moved back. But my idols were like Macaro, Rios, Agassi, these guys that they played with hands. So I'm seeing this and I want to do this. So these type of drills I like playing. A lot of mini tennis with my friends, uh, Razel, Adam, I play with them all the time. We would just play little games like that. So it was a lot of mini tennis, a lot of four square, stuff like that. Oh yeah, four square. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it helped out the hands and the quickness. and. I was, I was smaller than everyone, so I had to find a way to like um, get the ball to him faster and find ways to win points. I wasn't going to beat him with power, so he needed to be taking time away and angles and getting him out of position. So, all right, I got you obviously well-traveled, so I got kind of like, you know, the thing with tennis is you don't get to know a lot of the players unless they hold the trophy. Right. Whoever wins, get the microphone, right? And then, <laughs> and then the second place, you get it for a minute, and right. then they take it from you, exactly. right? Exactly. So I'm going to ask you some questions just about just the tour, your preferences. So like. The world gets to know, like the Applebee's type thing, right? So, um, day after a match, sleep in or early practice? Definitely sleep in. Yeah, I like to sleep in uh, and get a good 10, 30, 11 o'clock breakfast. In it. <laughs> <laughs> I like to sleep in pretty, pretty, quite often. All right. Uh, live ball or basket feeding? Live ball, for sure. I like the feel of a rally and it coming back and I'm hitting it where I want to, yeah. See, I would have thought opposite because I remember Lona, like, Firing yeah. the ball, <laughs> yeah. yeah the live, I mean, feeding's good too. I also like hand feeds, hand toss, because uh, the timing. I get my timing pretty good from a hand toss. Yeah. All right, breakfast at Wimbledon or breakfast in Asia? Ooh, Asia's pretty good. It was the first place I've ever when they were serving veggies for breakfast, and now that's my thing. I gotta have my broccolis and, right. and carrots, everything in the morning. So Asia taught me a lot. So when I when I asked that question, mm -hmm. 
I could tell how long somebody been on tour because if they say breakfast at Wimbledon, yeah, like we don't even eat breakfast. No, no, that's not breakfast it. Breakfast at yeah. is like the only meal of the day, right? You get like dinner for breakfast. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's a, it's a good meal. A lot of choices. I like breakfast in Asia. All right, Wimbledon, court eighteen or court three? Eighteen. Um, I had a big junior match there, so eighteen is my court. I like it. Uh, Gatorade or Powerade? Ooh, Gatorade, the blue one's real good. Yeah, 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 and, and the purple, but, the, but, the, but the, the blue one, Gatorade for sure. Bananas or bars? You know, I have to go bars. I, I like bananas, but bars is what I have pretty much all the time. Okay. Yeah, bars. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So when you look at like your career, you obviously have had a ton of success, made a bunch of money. What is the first thing you bought? when you finally got the bag. Okay, all right, so the first little bag, it was a video game. The, <laughs> the first. That was a coin purse. Yeah, that, yeah. The coin purse. first uh, real thing was a, was a Hummer. Yeah, it was a Hummer. I that was the it. first. I, I had wanted one forever. I seen it on TV and all the music videos and I had wanted one for, I mean, years and I had to get one. All black, yeah, it was nice. Yeah. The little screens in the back of the seat. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah 100%. Yeah. Yeah. TV's in the hairdresser, yeah. ain't nobody in the back you can nope, ride. Nope. Just have them on. And uh, everyone had to ride in the front. They couldn't watch in the back. Right. <laughs> they had to ride in the front. All right, so the one purchase that you made that you look back like, eh, I shouldn't have did that. I didn't even like it. Yeah, oh, man, let me think. There's a few. There's a couple. Uh, <laughs> Actually, my mom saved me for one. I had really wanted this sports car, and she was like, down in a year, you're not gonna want that anymore. And she really saved me. I won't name the car, because it might <laughs> say something about the car, but bad purchase. Let me see. Oh, man. I think I got a desktop MacBook when they were like four grand, and I never used it. Right. Yeah, so that was a bad purchase. First of all, you two, two on, on the road too much and have a desktop. It was at the house, right. yeah. I took a couple selfies on it, that was it. You're, right. You're on the road 30 weeks and you buy a desktop, right? Like, yeah, so when you look back on your career, um, do you have any regrets? And then as you sort of now, as an elder statesman on the tour, like you somebody that people talk to and they're like, oh, that dude, no tennis, right? right. Any regrets in your career or anything you want to achieve before you move on? Regrets, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I, I might have taken it a little slower when I was number one in the world at 15, maybe not take as many wild cards to the tour events. And um, yeah, because that was a big thing. It kind of hurt the confidence quite a bit, so it took a while to build the confidence back up after those losses. And um, what was the end of that? What was the uh, second part of that? Anything you want to achieve before you transition. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I do have some stuff. You know, I would, I would love to get a doubles title. Um, you were knocking on that door several yeah, times. Yeah, French yeah, Open. I have, yeah, yeah. So a couple of big tournaments, but I would love to get one of those. And then just get the most out of my game. I want to get back um, in the top 100 and higher and just compete at the highest level, like venues like here. That, that's my goals. That's what's up, man. Well, thank you, man. This has been the Tennis.com podcast. We're here with my boy, 
a dude that I literally watched hit tennis balls in diapers. I remember the day before you left for Kalamazoo, we were behind the museum. And he was hitting on them courts with no lines painted. We were the courts behind the museum. <laughs> yeah, with the chain net. With the chain net. It was yeah. concrete and, like, wasn't no lines. And you was out there getting hooked. <laughs> but your father was out there playing you in the set, and he was hooking you. Like, that was in. He was like, so call line judge. Oh, ain't one. Yeah, he right. always. He's, he's good for that. I, he didn't call you names and, and just, just making you a lot stronger. But at the time, it didn't, it didn't hurt. It hurt a lot. But you left the next day and then won, went one on Kalamazoo. So that, that made you. So I appreciate you. I always root for you, I admire you, and I love you, brother. Appreciate it, likewise. Thanks for coming. Thanks, on. my guy.